Blog Talk Radio. Arizona Boomer Radio brings you Straight Down the Middle, Arizona's only internet golf show. Straight Down the Middle is produced by the Boomer and the Baby Incorporated in partnership with GolfMix.com. GolfMix is your place to read course reviews written by recreational golfers just like you. Learn about the course you're going to play. Check out GolfMix before your next round. Now it's time to hit it straight down the middle. Four! Straight down the middle. It went straight down the middle. Then it started to hook just a wee, wee bit. That's when my caddy lost sight of it. That little white pellet has never been found to this day. But it went straight down the middle, like they say. Whack down the fairway. It went smack down the fairway. Then it started to slice just a smidge off line. It headed for two, but it bounced off nine. My caddy says, long as you're still in the state, you're okay. down the middle of the Masters special. And uh, we decided with the events of the weekend, Friday and uh, Friday night, Saturday, that we were going to get a, get back online and uh, do a little broadcast here and, and discuss those events and, and see what uh, people thought. I want to let people know that if they want to come in and chat, the chat room is open. We have not done this before, but the chat room is open in case somebody would like to come in and uh and partake of some chatting, uh, and we're also, uh, if you want to call in, we'll we'll call in uh, and talk to you as well. Like I say, this is something we haven't done in the past, but we're going to see if anybody is interested in doing that. So uh, there, uh, there we have it, and you're welcome to to join in the conversation with me today. Is Mr. Kirk Getzinger. Kirk, how are you? Happy Happy Saturday evening. I am doing great, Pete. Thank you very much. Good to be with you on another uh, special evening edition of Straight Down the Middle. And, uh, you know, when we were talking Thursday night, kind of set things up for the Masters, talked about what happened that day, and certainly all of us had the feeling that something unexpected, as it normally does, will be happening over the course of the next three days. I don't think either one of us would have ever put on that list having a penalty situation involving the number one player in the world, a penalty situation involving a 14-year-old amateur from China being the things that dominate the conversation for the last uh, 24, 48 hours or so. Where where would we have ever come up with that? Well, I don't know. I mean, it, it would have been like pulling a rabbit out of your hat to be able to, to, to come up with those beforehand. Uh, I, I certainly want to get into the Tiger, uh, Tiger Woods um Oh, I don't know. Is it a controversy, fiasco, whatever you want to call it? I don't know. But before we get that, what has what was the major thing uh, before was the uh, the slow play assessment against uh, the young man from China, and I want to talk about that first because that seems to have gotten lost in the furor over uh, over Mr. Woods' issues. 
Uh, I just want to get your feeling on uh, on that uh, slow play incident. I know we've talked about slow play uh, on the show before, and uh, it's uh, it's something that you're certainly very very aware of, uh, working as you do at TPC, and they have pace of uh, pace of play rules and so on and so forth, and and ways to measure it, uh, which is good and right. Um, I, I'm not so sure that I, I like the way this one went down. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I, I don't like it at all, Pete. And, and again, as you know from the show where we did talk about extensively about pace of play, you know how fervently I feel that uh, pace of play is critical towards golf at, at, at every level, whether it's the Masters, a PGA Tour event, or four friends playing in the casual round on their favorite course. Um, but in this situation, I, I think the whole, I think the applying of a penalty was uh, inappropriate, and it just absolutely done at the at the wrong time. At that on, on Friday, as tends to happen a lot of times, unfortunately in uh, PGA Tour events, the pace of play gets very glacial out there. Uh, rounds were going five and a half hours, and the one thing I've not heard anybody say is how far out of position in terms of minutes uh, Tim Languan's group was. They were notified on 10, they were out of position. But when you're measuring pace of play, that's the one thing you have to you have to look at. Are they are they five minutes out of position? Are they 10 minutes out of position? How much how much of an issue are we really dealing with here? Um, I, I think that the decision to impose a penalty in this situation. And he's kind of playing as, as I recall, like the seventh or eighth group of the day. I'm sure the groups in front of him, you know, weren't like they were playing at five hours and he was, or four hours and they were playing at five and a half. Um, we we haven't heard that part of it, but the rules official that made the decision, I think, has got to have John Paramore has got to have a little better sense of the moment. This is a 14-year-old player, amateur from China, who is you know, creating quite a bit of news and interest in the golf world. And I'm not saying you should get a separate set of rules. You should play by the set of rules that everybody does. But you've got to me- measure the uh, the punishment with the crime. And there's not been another time, apparently, in the whole history of the Masters at Augusta National that they've imposed a slow play penalty. And you and I both know for sure there's been a lot of times where there's been groups out of position. And I would I would note also that this same rules official was the was the rules official? You might remember a few years ago at the tournament at uh, at Firestone when Tiger Woods and Padraig Harrington were going at it in the last group, and he came up to Padraig Harrington on 16 and gave him a, a, either a warning or a notification or something about picking up the pace of play, and it just threw it threw Harrington right off his game, and he he messed up coming down the stretch, and Tiger ends up you know winning winning the tournament. Uh, so. I think he needs to have certainly a better appreciation for the sense of what's going on in the golf course and doing those sorts of things at really inappropriate times. Well, I would venture to say, because I was, uh, as I was watching it today, as much as I could uh, determine what was going on with particular players because of course they're cutting away from one to another and if and if one seems to be taking too long they may go ahead and and uh cut off to another player and then come back and and see that shot that we were waiting for on tape uh and i understand all that 
But there were a lot of people out there today that were certainly not uh, busting their can to to race to the finish line at all. That's number one. So I mean, it seems to me that there was a, it was a little, oh, I don't know. Which, can you call it unfair? Certainly misplaced. Uh, as far as I was concerned, punishment. Uh, and it, well, the fact that you got a 14-year-old young man uh, that's playing his can off to try to make a cut, and for him to be in jeopardy because of some person assessing a penalty like that really kind of got under my skin. I'm glad he made the cut. I'm really glad he made the cut. I'm glad that nobody else got to uh, six under or whatever, seven under or whatever it was, to, to, to put him out of it. But the other side of the coin is, and this is what kind of uh, uh, kind of came to my mind, is that there are two other professionals in that group. Now, why weren't they assessed? Why weren't they warned? Why was it just why was it just this young man, if indeed it was number one, and number two? Why didn't one of them, Mr. Crenshaw, put your arm around this kid because you were praising him and lauding him for everything he was doing and so on? Why didn't you put your arm around him and say, here, this is the way we do it out here, and this is how you can avoid it? And they were making that comment on the, on the Golf Channel today. Go, you know, these guys dawdle all the way to the ball, and they dilly-dally along, and they, you know, goose butterflies as they're walking down the fairway, but the caddy's way up in front of them getting all the yardages and whatever else. So when they get there and the clock starts running, they've got all kinds of time to talk about their options. But this young man didn't have that. He wasn't doing that because he was not made aware of it, that that can be done that way. And that's the way they're doing it on the tour, apparently, based on what I heard some of the commentators on the, the Golf Channel say. And why wasn't one of those pros putting their arm around him and saying, hey, do it this way, and, and this will be fine? I, Pete, I think that's a really a really good point. And uh, some, like you say, some uh, fatherly or, or grandfatherly advice, if you will, from, from Ben Crenshaw at that point certainly certainly could have maybe maybe helped diffuse a, a difficult situation. We don't know. And I, you know, not knowing exactly what was or wasn't going on over the course of that and how much, whether he was the only one in the group contributing to the, the problem, uh, whether, uh, you know, Crenshaw and Manicero were contributing to the problem equally, uh, why, why was he singled out? We, we just don't have that information. And that's part of the frustration is that, you know, we really don't, nobody's ever, that I've seen at least, has really said, well, how, how big of a problem was it? Were they 20 minutes out of position? Were they five? And was it really solely him and, and not anybody else? And that's why I think, uh, and again, then like you say, then we all come to the realization that, okay, he's a, he's a three over par, and it looks like that cut line is going to end up somewhere around four. And so, you know, he's going to be close. Somewhere somebody's got to, you know, the light's got to go on and say, is this the reason why we don't want this young man to make the cut? And I'm sure a lot of folks at Augusta were really nervous as Jason Day is coming up the last hole with a chance to make birdie and send the, and, and take it to seven and put him out at, uh, at, at four over. And I think, thankfully for all concerned, that didn't happen. He got a chance to play today. He's going to get the chance, and he'll be in, uh, you know, Father Cabin tomorrow afterwards, getting the award for the low amateur, which is the thing that, and, and I, I'm sure they'll talk about it tomorrow. And this is, you know, tomorrow the talk and everything is going to get back 100% to the golf and all the stuff about penalties and that will, you know, hopefully be behind us. We won't have any more firestorms that show up on the computer at 10 o'clock tonight. 
but he beat every other amateur in the field by at least four shots as right. a fourteen-year-old. I mean, that is absolutely incredible, and he beat a lot of really strong players in there as well. I mean, he beat uh, you know past past major champions. Graham McDowell didn't make the cut. So I mean, you know what he what he has accomplished on the golf course this week is phenomenal, and uh, I think that is the that that is as we talked about. Thursday when we were talking about the, just the chance that he could make the cut. And I think even at that point, we skewed it as a, well, maybe not a long shot, but the odds are against him. And what he's accomplished and what he's what's going to happen now when he goes back home, I, I mean, I have to envision he's going to be like a national hero. I mean, not, not only did he make the cut, beat a lot of great players, but even though some uh, rules official tried to get in his way. He still overcame it all, and he was incredibly poised during the whole thing. I mean, it's it's just uh, when what we've seen crystallized through that young man in terms of an, an incentive for young players to go out and play is unbelievable. And you know that's going to be the memory I think we'll all be left with. Uh, once you know, once Monday comes here and the uh, and the tournament's over. Absolutely, uh, I, I he cannot, in my mind, be um, praised enough for his handling of the situation. I mean, as a 14 year old kid, when I was 14 years old, I I'd have probably jumped up and down and screamed and thrown a tantrum and laid on the ground kicking and screaming, saying, "No, you can't!" <laughs> but but. Uh, it's just incredible that a 14-year-old kid can have that much poise and that much poise under pressure. And you're right. When he goes back to China, the fact that he comes away with the silver plate, uh, he will be, his, he and his family will be uh, probably treated like royalty back there. And they just may never want for another thing as long as, as, long as they live in China because uh, I don't know that they fully appreciate uh, the the rules of amateurism there, just like a lot of these other some of these other countries do. But I mean, he he'll he'll be uh, he'll be well treated, I'm sure, and he will be a national hero. Uh, if he was in North Korea, he may be the new leader. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, we, we won't go. We'll, we'll keep it to golf tonight. We won't. Go yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. That was <laughs> that was as far as I was going to go. So now, on the other hand, we've got another controversy, of course. We all know all about it. Um, Mr. Woods. Mr. Woods, Mr. Woods, Mr. Woods. I, I have mixed, I honestly have mixed feelings. Should he have DQ'd himself? Um, maybe. Some of the consensus with, uh, uh, the, the, the consensus among some of the people on uh, Golf Channel uh, are uh, that, yes, that he should. Uh, and that he didn't, and maybe he um, bent the rules intentionally. Uh, he readily admitted the fact that he came to two steps back from where he was and his reasons for doing it. Um, but this, my, the question might be, does this reflect the man in any way in your mind? Pete, I, I don't think so. I think what happened out there on the 15th hole was a mistake he made in 
in the heat of the – first of all, I think the mistake was made in the frustration of the moment. I think watching that step, that shot rattle off the flagstick, go back into the, the lake, and then messing up what is a very straightforward rule for a tour professional on where what your options are in terms of dropping from a marked water hazard. Uh, there's no mystery about what his options were, and he had, and he could not go back behind where his ball was because that was not on the line between where the ball entered the hazard uh, and the, the flagstick. So he he messed that up. Okay, and I'll give him the benefit of the doubt that it was a a, uh, a screw up based on just the chili running really hot at that point, and he forgot about you know the fact that it's not where the ball first crosses the hazard, it's where it last crosses the hazard is what defines your line of the drop. Um, but that being said, you, you raise uh, uh, I think even a more interesting question is that should he have disqualified himself? Because look, what saved him? We talk a lot in golf about the people sitting in their armchairs calling up when they think they see a rules violation. And, you know, there's, there's you know, that, that has been happening more and more over the years. And a lot of times it's probably unwarranted, and a lot of times it's probably frustrating to people who handle the tour affairs. But in this case, whatever contact was made to the rules committee people between 15 and 18, when they began to consider the situation is what saved them. Because if because they made a decision not to investigate any further at that point and they were satisfied with what had happened and so they didn't say to Tiger Woods, Hey, you better hold up on signing your card for a while here. We've got to check this out. We need some time to look at the tape and so on and so forth. They let him go ahead and sign his card when he came off the course. If they don't have that uh information at that point I think that it's a slam dunk. He has to be disqualified by the by the rules official once they have his admission that he moved two yards back, and clearly he didn't. Uh, he wasn't on the, the line between the ball and the and the flagstick. So then the question you raise about well, should he have just gone ahead and disqualified himself? I mean, I don't I don't know that there would be many play, tour players that, that would do that, but should he do that in that situation where he knowingly at least, you know, he knew what the rule was. He didn't follow it. And there's a reason why the disqualification rule exists. And it's because if you break a rule and you knowingly break the rule, but you don't apply the penalty, and then, I mean, let's say you go through the Judge Nails thing and you use the foot wedge on some hole, okay? Mm-hmm. And you should you should impose, you should be subject to a penalty, but you don't do it. And then after you sign your card, and all of that, somebody goes back and say, hey, I saw him using the foot wedge over there on number five, uh, you know, and they find out and it's confirmed, well, you should be disqualified. You have to be disqualified because if you just if you just impose the penalty, then you're no worse off than if you had reported it in the first place. And so golf is a game where you've got to call the rules on yourself, and if you're not subject to some kind of an additional sanction for not calling your rules on yourself, then nobody ever has any incentive to do it. So there's an important reason why the disqualification rule is there. Could you say it's too harsh? Could you say it should be, you know, four shots instead of two shots? You know, that's a debate for another day. But there's, I think it's certainly a fair question to say, you know, should a player in a situation like that disqualify himself when, you know, he's, he, he's somebody else saved him? Oh, 
I think yes, that, that's that's true. And and it was a, a viewer that saved him. And part of the thing that saved him also was the uh, the USGA rule with regard to um, uh, HGTV. Uh, the H, they, I think they call it the HGTV rule uh, because people sitting at home can zoom in, play it or play it back and forth, slow mo it, whatever the case might be. He said uh, the ball moved. Uh, uh, a smidgen, and uh, he didn't. Uh, he didn't declare the penalty, and he should be DQ'd. And 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 according to what uh, uh, what's his name, Rinaldi, I guess it is from the uh, from the um, uh, from the, the I guess the national on the committee, the rules committee said we get all kinds of those calls every year. And he says we're always getting calls about this or that and the other thing, and that's why that rule was put into effect. And they took the opportunity to invoke that rule that at the discretion of the committee. And um, uh, right, wrong, or indifferent, it's there. And uh, I firmly believe that as as a as a player, uh, if there is any question, you should call for a ruling, and you should be able to state your case there with the uh, with the uh, with the person on the site. Uh, from the rules committee as to why and when and how and can I and and so on and so forth uh, and and try to make your point about where you can drop what you can do and so on and you see that happening all the time they call for an official to come over and they will sit there with that official and they will debate <laughs> you know the official says this the player says this the player interprets it this way the official interprets it that way and there's many of times many times when there's a delay for the reason of making that determination right there on the golf course. Now, if this was because it was so far out in the open, it wasn't a case of being near an out-of-bounds line or on the line or in the hazard or not in the hazard, whatever the case. Uh, I mean, it was pretty cut and dry. It was out there sitting in the middle of the fairway, basically, where where this was taking place. It seems to me that it should have been a pretty cut and dry thing. And when he admitted to the fact that he did go back two steps uh, or two yards or whatever it was, I might be in agreement with you that he wasn't thinking. He just plain flat wasn't thinking. But as they said on the Gulf Channel, is uh, ignorance of the rule a reason for not enforcing the rule? Yeah, it, it, intent can't be the determining factor. It has to be, did you, right. did, did you not break the rule? And the one thing, in looking at Rule you know, 33 that you were alluding to there, Pete, um, they do have some provisions for, like what you said, the, the HDTV situation, where they, they have some things in the decisions where, let's say, for instance, a player is in a bunker, okay, and in taking, in taking the club back, he barely brushes a few grains of sand, something that would not be perceptible to the player. Okay, but if somehow the camera gets in there just at the right angle, and they can see that yes, he barely brushed a few grains of sand, well, that's obviously a, a penalty under the under the rules. If it is if it's that type of a situation, that's what Rule 33 was expected to cover. The situation where it's a it, it, it it's just not reasonable for the player to know that he broke the rule. Okay, and a calling in that case. I would agree should not lead to a disqualification. Impose the penalty and move on. Now, if the player, using that same example, 
digs his club in the sand on the way back, and you can you know you can see almost that the club bounces off the sand, and you can see the motion of it, and he doesn't call the penalty on himself, then he should be disqualified in in, in that situation. Um, and again, in this case, I, I I have every reason to believe that Tiger Woods would have been disqualified, but for the fact that the committee, whatever knowledge they had before he signed his card, bailed him out because they had a they had an opportunity to approach him on it, and they didn't. Well, they didn't, and they said, fine, sign your card, play on. And so they accepted it as being okay as a committee. It then would have been tough for them to go ahead and disqualify him, I think. Um, The option then became his. If there was going to be disqualification, the option then became his. And I don't know if you saw him speak after the round. He said, the decision was made, I agreed with the decision, I accepted the penalty, and I'm moving on. And that was it, and yeah. uh, and that and it's it. I, I guess you can say that that's it. Aside from uh, folks like us who will hash it and rehash it uh, at the watering hole from now until kingdom come. <laughs> well, I, I think one thing for sure: we all know if you didn't know the rule before about how you're supposed to drop a ball when it goes into the water hazard. If you've watched any of what's going on here in the last 24 hours, you know it now. <laughs> I mean, that's right. I mean, that's a, so sometimes in life you learn the best by your mistakes, not by your successes. Uh, this is one that you can rest assured that the next time the Tiger Woods hit the ball into a water hazard, he's not going to mess up the drop. Okay? No, and, 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 if, and if Joey Lacob is his caddy at that time, he's going to make sure he doesn't mess up the drop. You know, that's, well, a, that's, that's another thought. Somebody brought this up to you. What are your thoughts on this? Does the caddy have any responsibility in this? The responsibility to say, hey, wait a minute, what are you doing here? I, 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 you know, it's. I wouldn't put the blame on him, but I think it's one of those things. Where, and there was, there, there was time for him to react. Let's put it that way. Um, you know, they're a team, okay? They're they're a team, and perhaps he could have, you know, hold it. He could have said, "Hold on, you know, hold on, Tiger. Uh, we got we got to take a look at this." Um, again, he could have, you know, with a. With with a little nudge, with with speaking up, with recognizing what was going on, uh, they're not. Look, the caddies aren't there to be the you know to be the rule uh, instructors for the players. The players, the professional, the players are the one that's supposed to know it. But uh, they're they're a team, and it, uh, it wouldn't hurt in that situation. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, the, cad- the caddy is not the arbiter of the rule, but if the caddy knows that something is not quite right, he might say. Are you sure you did that right? <laughs> you know, uh, and then yeah, if it, right. and, and if it causes if it causes him to think, it causes him to think. He says, "Ah, no, I did fine." And, well, it's on you, buddy. You know, that's that's yeah. kind of the way I look at. Now, the amazing thing about all this is, after all this is said and done, and all the fear are uh, kind of calms down, uh, here we go. We're off playing golf, and Tiger's still in the hunt. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. It- it clearly could have been uh, a situation where, and one maybe it was, you know, the timing of it all probably worked to his benefit because he didn't have to address a question from anybody other than the rules committee about it until after his round today. So if he's getting peppered with questions last night at his at his interview, okay, well maybe he thinks about a lot more things than he did uh, before he wakes up this morning, okay, and I'm sure when he I'm sure he first got up this morning and they indicated the first phone calls were to his 
his uh, his agents or his handlers or whomever, they weren't to him. Well, okay, they had time to to talk and make sure that you know everybody was on the same page on this, and so uh, and they had a little bit of time to kind of diffuse whatever uh, you know boiling blood there might have been as a result of all this. And then he goes out and he birdies first hole, and he he moves along. You know, he shoots a shoots shoots a seventy, and uh, you know, it clearly is it something that it could have. He could have bristled about the whole round. Well, absolutely, but I think he must have realized, you know, very quickly that he did make a wrong drop. He got a huge break, and you, you move on in those situations. You say thank you very much, and I, I, let me let me move on. I don't want to dwell on this one. I I could have been very easily in my car headed home uh, this morning. Yeah, that's very very true. Uh, so, looking at the final round tomorrow. I'd be interested in knowing your thoughts. We're uh, we've got what three guys at minus seven. Uh, uh, and, yeah, two uh, at minus, yeah, two at minus seven. Pete. Two, uh, two, uh, yeah. Stenaker and Cabrera at seven, and Scott right. at six. Right. Well, I tell you, Cabrera just absolutely amazes me. I mean, he just steps up and he just slogs that that ball. I mean, I mean, he's a good player. He he hits everything pure, but it looks like he's swinging right out of his shoes. He's a, apparently a hulk of a man, and you really can't tell on TV with that. But you keep saying he's like a like a bolt of thunder or a roll of thunder, uh, and and yet he he plays so effortlessly around the greens and with so much finesse. He's pretty a pretty amazing player. Yeah, I, I think so, Pete. And, and like you say, I, I saw him over at the Phoenix Open this year, and yeah, he kind of has that lumbering type stride to him, and a, a kind of appearance. I mean, uh, he, he he kind of just comes at you, and but he's got an incredible game. I mean, look at he's got two majors under his belt. He's a round away from making it three, and you know, three majors puts you in some pretty small company in the in the history of golf. And his touch around the greens, and especially with the plastic, is incredible. And like you say, it's it's really refreshing to me, getting back to where we talk about a pace of play, to watch how he plays. He plays very expeditiously, and he gets his mind made up. He gets he gets over the ball and he hits the shot. Uh, you know, there's no there's no uh, decisions by committee here before he makes a shot. He gets up and he hits it. I, I you know, watching him on 12 today. You know, he hit his shot into the front bunker there. He had no play to go straight at the hole, so he just had to kind of chop it out to the right. And the ball is so he, he hits it up there on the fringe, and you know, maybe it's just his nature, or maybe it's the situation as well. Uh, if a strong wind comes up, that ball could have blown down the sh- blown down the shelf and headed into the water. Well, he got himself right out of that bunker as fast as he could, gets over the ball, gets the wedge in his hand, chips it up there to four feet, makes the putt, and you know takes his bogey and, and moves on. And so he does seem, you know, and is he seems very good natured out there. I I see him as somewhat you know unflappable. Yeah, he's the kind of guy that, like you say, it looks like he's going to go out and play his game. And if it if it turns up another 69 for it tomorrow and 10 under is the winning score, then that that's what it's going to be. And if his game results in a 75 tomorrow and he doesn't win, well, that that's what it's going to be too. He he's uh, very very individualistic as as I see it. Well, you know, I think it's going to be interesting when you start talking about pace of play. You've got the last two guys in the in the last group, and neither one of them takes a lot of time. Between Cabrera and Snedeker. <laughs> Snedeker. 
You've been watching that commercial. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Hey, Steediger. <laughs> Steediger guy. Uh, between the two of them, they could be playing up somebody's backside all day long if they're not careful. Well, and, you know, you think about it, that could be, you never know, that could be an issue out there tomorrow if they are, you know, constantly uh, right, you know, always, always waiting behind the group in, in, when they get in front of them. I mean, you know, you, you've played enough rounds where you know that uh, sometimes waiting over waiting over a shot is the worst thing that you can you can have happen to you, and especially on some of those holes coming in, like 13 or 15, where you're trying to knock it on in two, and at least for at least for me, a long shot coming into a par five is one of the worst times in the world. They have to stand over the ball, and uh, the group in front of them is is Adam Scott and Mark Leachman, and so I'm not sure, you know, kind of what their pace of play uh, propensities are. But uh, uh, if that if that became an issue, you never know that that could work against them. But from the standpoint of that, they both play the same way. I think that's a plus for for them. If they're not, if there's no problem in the groups in front of them. What I think would be worse if if one of them was playing with a player who was notorious for slow play, and that to me certainly as a fast player would be the absolute wrong pairing you would want on the last day to be standing there watching your playing partner, you know, spend two minutes over the ball every time and go back and forth, and the wind is supposed to be blowing a little bit there tomorrow, kind of like it was today, ten to fifteen miles an hour, so there's going to be some of that going on. And so I think the pairing from their standpoint, that that probably works out pretty well. I expect that one of them, at least one of them, will shoot under par tomorrow. And so I think my thought is the winning score will be a 9 to 10 under type score. And if you're not within, I'd say, 4 at at 3 under right now, that's about as far back as I would go in terms of looking for somebody who who can win because I don't see both of those guys backing up tomorrow. I see at least one of them shooting an, an, under, an under par round that would force you go back to three under where you've got just Tim Clark and Tiger Woods. It's going to probably force a 60, 66 out of one of them to get get near the top. I, I don't think you're going to see the winner come from any, any further back than that. Who else in your mind, uh, other than the last two in the last group, uh, who else do you think is playing well enough right now as they close out their third round uh, to be still considered uh, a challenge tomorrow? Well, well, the good thing I just did with that last statement, Pete, is I hemmed in the options to eight players. So that, that that's really good. <laughs> and given that I've said the Seneca and Cabrera, will, I think they will both be there at the end. I don't see any, either one of them falling way off. But the name, and we talked a little bit about Matt Kutcher on Thursday night, and I still see him as very much a, a player that could stand up tomorrow, play a very calm and collected round, play his game, create a 68 or 67 out there, and uh, be in the house before the last couple of groups get in, and perhaps be that person that starts posting the red numbers up on the board that the last two groups have to take a look at and think about, hey, I've got to either get to that number or get no worse than that number. I, I see him as being very relaxed and at ease with the situation tomorrow, um, and he would be the one, if somebody was going to come from come from behind to do it, that would be the one I would look for to do it. 
There are a couple of players that I would be frankly surprised. One in particular. I mean, I don't I don't know that much about uh, about these guys, these these Aussies, uh, uh, Adam Scott and uh, the, the, uh, Jason uh, t- today that was the leader for so long, or in the lead, uh, tied for the lead, whatever. Um, but I noticed today uh, certainly uh, Jason came apart in the last two holes, and he took himself. Uh, out of the final group, uh, but what I noticed today with that long putter that Adam uh, Adam Scott uses on the long on the long putts, the lag putts, he's always well short. That long putter, for some reason or other, to, to my way of thinking, and and I and I heard one of the commentators say something about, I wonder if it's the long putter that you it because you have to wield it so much. And you have to be so cautious with it. And I'm thinking, wow, isn't that interesting? Because he was short. It's that old never up, never in, and he wasn't. I mean, he got himself, uh, he got himself close uh, a couple of times, and then he would sink those putts. But when he had a long one, I didn't see anything to write home about. Yeah, I can certainly see that as a challenge on the greens at Augusta, and. Uh, especially today when the commentary seemed to be that they were a little more dried out and a little quicker perhaps than they had been the first couple of days. And if you're on the practice screen and you're feeling that in your hands, and like you say, you, you've, you've got the broomstick, and I don't, you know, I, I, I tried it, I don't putt with it, but I would, I would share your thought, Pete, that the thing you have to protect against is the hammering of the putt six feet through the hole because that probably is a lot easier to do than um than leaving it short with with a normal stroke. And so if that's the if that's the thing you're guarding against, then the result can be, well I'm gonna leave I'm gonna end up leaving a bunch of putts short. Uh just out of caution and just making sure, hey, I'm gonna save my par but I'm not gonna get aggressive aggressive about trying to make a make a ton of birdies. Yeah. Um obviously tomorrow whoever wins is gonna is gonna have to make a few out there. You know, with with Jason Day it was a you know it an unfortunate end for him on the last two greens, missing a couple of a couple of relatively short, makeable putts that created his only bogeys of the day. Um, you know, will he rebound from that tomorrow, or will, be, or will he really sleep badly on that and you know come out uh, with uh, with a bad start tomorrow? That'll be the thing that I, I think is interesting. There, he played well. He missed some opportunities, but he played well. How does he let those last? Does he let those last two holes affect him? And send him backwards, or does he just say, "Hey, I'm starting off. It's, I'm playing it like it's the first hole of the tournament, and I'm going to go out and, and go out and do my best today." Uh, t- talking about a few individual players along the way, one that was conspicuous in his absence, Mr. Sergio Garcia. Where did he go? Where have you gone, Sergio? Uh, he blew up with what 67, and uh, maybe never to be heard from again <laughs> in this in this tournament, anyhow. Well, yeah, you know, it was interesting, Pete. We we talked a little bit about him on on Thursday night, and he got off to the great start, uh, and then he went backwards on on Friday. Um, he was he was six under at the start on uh, on, on Thursday, and uh, and then followed that up with uh, with with a mess on Friday with a seventy six, and then a seventy three today. And the the discussion we were having about at that point was. Okay, he started off great. He's tied for the lead. 
what's going to happen when he first runs into a little bit of adversity out there? Is he going to take it as a challenge and say, I'm going to plow through it and make it work? Or am I going to use it as no little situations where the golf cards are out to get me? And, you know, all I can say is looking at his round on Friday, he made four bogeys, no birdies, set 76, and clearly not never got anything going. And then today he didn't make a birdie until the 12th hole, or I'm sorry, until the 8th hole, and he had two bogeys in the double in the first 11 holes. So, you know, somewhere the switch flipped from Thursday uh, through the first nine holes today. He actually he actually birdied both the par threes on the on the back nine today, which that's a that's got to be a pretty rare event. But um, again, he had a, he was in a position to do something strong, take a strong position in the tournament. Just kind of needed to work his way around the golf course on Friday. A par round would have left him at six under and in great shape, great shape, and playing at the, you know playing in the last group or groups. And he let Friday get away from him, and he and he didn't recover from it. And uh, now he's one under, and as I see it, he has he has no chance to win this weekend tomorrow. Yeah, I I agree. I think his I, he I think his hopes have dashed. Uh, and and I was looking at it like you on Thursday and thinking, hey, this guy may just uh, may just end up in the hunt here and maybe you know be able to contend. But he made sure he sure made quick work of that statement and that sentiment. I don't know if it's something between his ears or, or the light goes on and he says, oh, I'm not supposed to be here. I've never been here before. I don't like this golf course. Uh, I can't play with the lead in majors. Uh, you know, it's any number of things. Uh, interesting, very interesting, and I think a very interesting psyche uh, when it when it comes to Mr. Garcia. I think he's probably a really neat guy, but for some reason or another, he has a, he has some some issues with uh, with closing the deal. I, I think he's one of those kind of players, Pete. And you see it in you know not only golf but in a lot of sports. Where you, you look at him and you go, there's just an incredible amount of talent there. And it never shows up at the, at the at the times when it needs to. And you know, look, he's he's had his problems with the flat stick. We we talked about that. That's been his Achilles heel certainly in in recent years. But you know, that that's something as a you know as a tour player, you you know you can't have, and you know you got to get it fixed. You, you you have to you have to make it work for you. So at least it's not not dragging you down. You don't have to be the best putter on tour to win, but you just can't have it taking you out of contention. Uh, in in key moments, and so uh, whatever it is that's you know going on you know, between his ears that's holding him back, uh, it's, to, to me it's clearly it's clearly there. This is someone that with the talent he had when we first saw him at the at, at the PGA, hitting the shot from behind the tree, running out on the fairway, doing the scissors kick jump, all that stuff, and you thought, man, this, this, this kid's got it. He's got he's got the game to really go out there. And win a bunch of majors, and here we are, many years later. And he hasn't he hasn't closed the deal on one, and uh, I, I don't see any signs that it's going to happen anytime soon. Because we look at the scorecard just like we're looking at this week from him: sixty six, seventy six, seventy three, and that doesn't get it done in a major. No, it certainly doesn't. It certainly doesn't. Uh, well, as far as uh, as far as tomorrow, if you were going to be a betting man, if you were going to be wagering. Um, Who's your pick? Well, you know, this is probably the absolute um, curse that and that I could put on someone by picking them tomorrow. I, I mean, you know, if you want to 
asked me what's going to happen, for instance, in an NFL game. Uh, ask me whoever who I think is going to win and to take the other team. I mean, you know, so I I, I hate to, to, to put it on somebody like that. But I, I think that Brad Snedeker's time has come. I think that his confidence is strong. His play is is has been really strong this year. And I think he's a whole different person than the one that he had a shot here five years ago. And I think the combination of all of that, just get out. The, to me, with him tomorrow, I think the thing is get out of the gate strong. Get one behind you, maybe get a birdie on two, and keep keep three and four from getting away from you. And if you get him down the stretch making shots, and we know he's one of the best on tour with the flat stick, he should make a couple crucial putts at times tomorrow that would be the kind of thing, like we talked about, that you need to go out and win the Masters. And he, I think, has the game that's ready to go out and do that, be be a person that can make those kind of shots like we've seen and win the golf tournament, not just waiting for everybody else to fall by the wayside. Because there will be people that will come up at him. I mean, he's got... You know, one player one shot away from him, two sh- two players only two, and one player three. So out of that group of players, somebody is going to make a move. And I think he knows and understands and is ready to execute on making the shot and the score that he needs to, to, to win the tournament tomorrow. Well, I was – not that I didn't uh, somewhat expect it because I think he just runs out of gas anymore. But I was I, I felt bad for Freddie Couples. Uh, I was thinking, boy, wouldn't it be nice if he was right up there in one of the last two groups tomorrow. I thought, wow, this would be just wonderful. Tiger's pretty well out of it, and by my book, although he can't pull off a miracle, we both know that. Uh, I would, I wouldn't be putting my money on Tiger, and I would, but I was hoping that uh, we'd see Fred Couples uh, coming down the stretch uh, with a tra- with a chance to win again. Uh, I, I thought that would really been cool, and. Uh, I don't know if he has any gas left in the tank for this tournament. I, I don't. I don't know. Uh, that that course apparently takes quite a bit of wear and tear off of a person, especially somebody that's 53 and uh, has a bad back. You know, he, he's played remarkably well there, and they've shown all the statistics on television about him being 500 for what the last three years after after 36 holes. And you know, there might not there, there might not be anybody else that has had a better combined score after 36 holes over the last three years than than he has. But it, it's grueling. It, it's grueling. Every green faces you face you know a potential three putt. Every green you face a potential problem. He, you know, he was rolling along nicely today, and they dumped it in the back bunker on seven and got it out in the wrong part of the green and three-putted from there for a double. Uh, kind of righted the ship a little bit, but then everything went sideways from uh, from 14 on going in. So uh, it, it's just a very, very unforgiving golf course in terms of you just can't step up and think you're just going to roll out 18 straight pars or even just go down a stretch of holes where you think you're just going, I'll make five or six straight pars and let me just get in the house and, I'll start. I'll start up a new tomorrow. It just doesn't allow you to do that, and uh, you would have. You would have made for an, another interesting uh, chapter to the story tomorrow to see the chance of. And, and it's always going to be that way. And I think we're going to see him. You know, more. We'll see it more times as the years go on. Now, where we want to see somebody take a shot at the record of Jacks 
of being the oldest player to win the Masters. And in mm-hmm. Freddie's case this year, would be the oldest player to, to, to win a major. So, but to see somebody take a shot at that record is is going to be really neat. And uh, you know, he's well. You know, Jack was forty six. We'll we'll see other players take a shot at that. I, you know, I I, I mentioned on Thursday. I think when when Phil Mickelson's time comes and he's past forty six, and if that record still stands, he's that that might be one he puts in his back pocket. So, uh, it it would have certainly added something to the story tomorrow. But I think the fact that he's had difficulties in the last two rounds over the last few years just tells you about what a challenge they they face there i don't think it's the i don't think it's the pressure per se again i don't think it can be the pressure with a guy like couples who's played you know heaven knows how many rounds and has had the kind of success he does it's just a question of the difficulty and when you go slightly off and particularly again his his uh Achilles over the last few years when he runs into situations Turns to the turns to be the flat stick in a lot of cases. It's the the, the greens at Augusta are totally unforgiving for that. And uh, uh, at, at even par, he's just he's just too far back at this point, as I see it, to make a run tomorrow. Yeah, I think so too. And the other one, another one that has really been was has been terribly disappointing to my way of thinking is Phil the Thrill. There is the thrill is gone right now. I tell you, he is just struggling, isn't he? He's scraping it around. You know, it's a, it, it's a shock, Pete, too, and, and he was shocked by it today. And he he made some comments about that this was just a you know a terrible round for him, and it's not been anything near what he had in mind the, the last two days. And especially when we look back and see what he did here at the Phoenix Open, and you know twenty twenty eight under, and uh, you know almost shooting fifty nine on the first day, and but not you know basically not missing a shot almost for four days. And I understand it's, you know, two different golf courses and two different tournaments and two different situations, obviously. And you're talking about the, the Masters, which is the, the greatest golf tournament in the world, to me, maybe the, and, and to me, probably the greatest sporting event in the world. Um, and I think Phil, Phil looks at it, you know, somewhat the same way. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm very surprised for him to be this far off. I mean, to have rounds of 76 and 77, is just uh, a real a real surprise. It's yeah, you're exactly right. He's obviously struggling with his game uh, very much right now, and it's happening at a time of year when uh, he usually turns it on, but uh, not not this time around for him. Well, the amazing thing about Phil is all of a sudden he's going to be he's going to pop up and he's going to be back and they're going to say, "Whoa, he's back!" and he's going to be hitting the. Hitting the heck out of the golf ball again, right down the middle, uh, to use the term of our golf show, straight down the middle. And uh, he'll be moving it here and moving it there, doing whatever he needs to do, hit that high ball, that high cut, uh, however, he, or however he puts that ball up in the area uh, of the green and so on and so forth. And, and you're going to say, well, what's the difference? Who, who flipped the switch? Because uh, he is really... Uh, he used to be known as a, a bit of a riverboat gambler, I guess, but um, I don't think it's a case of riverboat gambling now. It's a it's a case of of, uh, of just trying to get it together. You know, you know, you have to wonder. And he commented about this before the the tournament, Pete. And you know how much you know any of us could be creatures of habit in life. And there's things we like we like to do, and we get into certain routines. And golf can certainly lend itself to that. 
And he was very much in the routine for many years of playing the week before the Masters and playing Houston, you know, the way that they have now set up the schedule with Houston being the tournament before the Masters and um, getting his, you know, in, in essence, his warm-up rounds in that way, his, but having competitive rounds as well. And now with the schedule being a week different this year and not having that week uh of the tournament play before the Masters, he had commented it. He said, I'm going to be nervous when I go out there in the front nine because I'm not I'm not in that tournament mode or coming right off of that tournament mode in three or four days. And sure thing, he comes out on the front nine uh, on Thursday and goes two over. Now, he, he fixed it on the back nine. He birdied four out of five. He he ends up with 71. And so you look at that and you say, okay, he, he got the, you know, he got, got his, Got things where he wanted, and now he's going to be rolling along for the next couple of days. And then, uh, obviously, everything uh, has been nowhere near where he wanted for the last two days. So you just you just wonder if if that made a if, if that made a real uh, real difference for him this year. Well, yeah, you're right. He's, he seemed to there uh, on the back nine at uh, on opening round of riding the ship, but didn't take him long to find the rocky shoal again, did it? I mean, he was. <laughs> It wasn't long. He was taking on water. That's <laughs> uh, for sure. And uh, it, it's a it's a shame to see it because they, he's so good for the game, and uh, people just love him no matter where he goes, and they all want to see him do well. And uh, it's just uh, it's, it's it's somewhat disappointing. Yeah, I, I have to say, Pete, when I when I was there uh, as a patron in 2011, the year after he you know he last won, and they. They had a little flag in the pine straw there on 13, where he hit that miracle shot out of the pine straw up to you know six feet on the on the green there on 13, and it was one of the most in, incredible sights. That, you know, first of all, see the you know the three foot or so opening that he had between two of the pine trees there, and to pull that shot off and, and knock it up there, and you, you just you stand there in amazement, and, and that's part of what the tournament. You know, won't have tomorrow, and, and with him not being in the mix, is uh, that ability to pull off some you know shots that you never expect you're going to see, and all of a sudden put himself um, if he's in the lead or near the lead, put himself on top or, or bring himself close to uh, close to the lead. It's just something that a little extra flavor that we we won't have tomorrow. You thought that you know when, when he was at Houston, he played well the last 36 holes. Looked like maybe he had things going in the right direction, and uh, and all of a sudden it just it didn't show up this week. And and I agree with you, Pete. You know he'll go out to, you know whatever one of his next tournaments is, and maybe light it up, and you'll say where was that at Augusta? But it, you know it wasn't there this week for whatever reason. Let me throw a couple more names at you, and I think then we're going to kind of uh, shut this down for for the evening. Um, Bubba, where's Bubba been? Is he out running around on his hovercraft? <laughs> um, well, I haven't haven't seen that on uh, in the lake on eleven or uh, floating down Ray's Creek or any anything like that. So, I I suspect not. I suspect he's got that thing in, in dry dock for the uh, for the weekend here. But uh, he's had he's had it up and down three days. Um, he's had a lot of circles on the card, and he's had a lot of squares on the card. And you know you you think about on this game, and that doesn't surprise me that you would uh, see, you know, he's got the ability to make incredible shots and incredible scores, um, but then again, he's got a, a homemade swing and a homemade game that probably can 
things can can get away from him a little bit at, at times as well. Uh, so uh, he hasn't had the the week to, to back up his uh, his win like perhaps he had hoped. But uh, you know, I don't. I think he has the kind of game that lends itself to Augusta so much more than any of the other majors. And I won't be surprised that if in the future he he takes another one uh, before he would. Uh, get a get another major because you know, the, the golf course is the golf course favors a, a bomber because there isn't much of a second cut uh, and it favors someone and Bubba does have it and he does have a great touch around the greens and he does have the ability to to create shots and uh, Augusta demands all that but you know you you look at his scorecard for three days and he's made double on eleven twice and that's that's four shots if he had those back right now uh he would be uh, two under instead of two over at least thinking about the chance to do something special tomorrow and and win it instead of realizing hey i'm i'm uh, I'm nine shots back and it's um, I'm gonna be handing off the green jacket to somebody this year instead of uh getting it put on me for two years straight. Exactly. One last one last question. I'd like to get your uh, impression of where do you think the young amateur is is going to finish as far as his score is concerned? What do you think? What are we looking at? Do you think the the most incredible finish you could think of, to me at least, would be he's coming up eighteen with a birdie putt to shoot seventy one tomorrow and the chance to break par at Augusta. That's that that's probably quite far fetched on uh from from my standpoint from from you know from anyone's standpoint to to envision that happening. I would expect him to shoot a, a mid seventies type round tomorrow and holding his head real high as he finishes and probably getting one of the loudest ovations when he walks up to the eighteenth green. I mean I think what 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 he shoots tomorrow is he could shoot uh you know, 71 or 81 or 91, it's all icing on the cake in terms of what, what he's accomplished. He's he's, he's playing with, with Sandy Lyle tomorrow. They go out as the second group. Um, and I think it's it's one of those moments that, you know, look, he could get a – if he continues to have success and doesn't – let's say he doesn't win the Asian Amateur again this year, you could almost see him getting a special invite next year. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, they – they gave uh, Real Ishikawa a special invite a few years ago to get him started there. And with one more good round tomorrow, you could see that. I, I could see that happening next year. So I really hope that he he does shoot. You know, his, if he matched par tomorrow, that would be the kind of thing I think the committee just has to stand up and say, you know what, this created something so phenomenal. Let's bring it. Let's bring him back for another year. Absolutely. I I mean, I would expect your score to, to be in the mid seventies. But, uh, but but let's hope something. Let's hope the golf staff give him a few breaks tomorrow and let a few putts roll in and shoot uh, uh, shoot that low number. That'd be great, wouldn't it? Well, Kirk, uh, I want to thank you for taking your Saturday evening and uh, and talking with me here on uh, on Straight Down the Middle again. I want to remind everybody that this is Straight Down the Middle that you've been listening to, and you can follow us on Twitter, which is twitter.com forward slash down the middle. Two down the middle two on Twitter, and also you can Facebook us at Straight Down the Middle Show. Facebook Straight Down the Middle Show. You have to put that in the search because uh, we just opened that up and we need a new few more followers. So uh, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, 
Uh, take a look at all the things we've got going on our website. We're going to have a rules section before long. If you're a high schooler here in Arizona and uh, your coaches are of a mind, we can get you on. We're going to be doing some uh, doing some Google uh, some Google Hangouts with some of the high school players and and following some high school golf as well. So uh, we're all looking forward to doing that uh, along the way as we start developing this this whole package even more. And Kirk. Thanks again for being with me today, and uh, I'm sure we'll have an interesting conversation on Thursday when John's back, and uh, and uh, and a and a good guest on Thursday as well. And even without a guest, we've still got plenty to talk about here on Straight Down the Middle. Well, absolutely, Pete, and a pleasure to be with you on this uh, this special evening edition. And uh, uh, let's uh, let's not hope all the uh, the firestorms about rules and all that are in the past, and let's just watch a watch a great finish to the Masters tomorrow. Yeah, let's just go play golf. Absolutely. Thanks again. Take care, Kirk. Have a nice evening. Uh, You too. You've been listening to Straight Down the Middle on Arizona Boomer Radio. Arizona Boomer Radio is produced by the Boomer and the Babe Incorporated and can be heard Monday through Friday. You can sign up for their online magazine at boomerandthebabe.com. To reach the Boomer and the Babe, email host at boomerandthebabe.com or friend them on facebook.com slash boomerandbabe. And on Blog Talk, you can friend them at blogtalkradio.com slash boomerandbabe. Follow their tweets at twitter.com slash boomerandbabe. Be sure to make the second half of your life the best half of your life. And remember, at 50, you're just getting started.